Hello, everyone. Again, happy Easter. It's so lovely to see you all here. Um, whether you are a person who comes here every week or someone who is just visiting today, it's such a joy to be able to celebrate such a special Sunday together. And wasn't that time of worship just wonderful? Just rejoicing in Jesus just singing our worship and praising him. Um, I don't know if you could see the kids at the front were breakdancing at one point, which was just, just beautiful. Um, I grew up in a very traditional Church of England church. It's what you might call High Anglican. I fondly refer to it as a bells and smells kind of church. I don't know if you can picture it. It's the kind of church that had bell ringing on a Tuesday evening, which sounded beautiful when they we're practicing and did it right. Um, they had incense being wafted around, candles being carried around a beautiful church building, and a lot of liturgy. And liturgy is um, sort of prayers and calls and responses that have been written down and prayed for hundreds and hundreds of years through the church, and it's beautiful. It's very different to this kind of church. It's very different to how we express our worship, but it is beautiful in its own way and glorifies Jesus. Just in case you're wondering, yes, teenage Rianne was trusted to carry around the very tall candlesticks and even learn how to swing the incense around, which if you've never been to a high Anglican church, is basically a pot that has some incense in it and then burning coals that's on a chain that you just walk around swinging. I never quite had the courage to go full 360, but I always, always wanted to. Easter Sunday at St. Mary's was a beautiful occasion. It was full of ceremony and worship. Um, everyone was in their kind of best Sunday dress. All of the cassocks and robes were beautiful and colorful. It was just wonderful. But there was something a little bit different that very much confused 10-year-old Rianne. So the church we went to, you had a service book that told you what you were supposed to say at each point. You weren't supposed to memorize all of it. You were following along, so the, the vicar would say something and you would know what to say. But on Easter Sunday, you had to turn to a different page, which confused me the first time this happened because I hadn't really realized that was the thing. And the thing that was different was that on Easter Sunday, we said, Alleluia, a lot. Every prayer had at least a few, like, peppered in. Every call and response added two Alleluias to the end of every single line which was a lot, and every song was full of choruses of Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Me and my friends tried to count once how many times we said Alleluia and gave up. <laughs> we just lost count. We couldn't, we couldn't keep up with it. It was a lot. Um, you may have noticed this morning some of our songs have said Hallelujah. Lots of people have been praying Hallelujah. And so we should. Hallelujah, Hallelujah means God be praised. And that is what we should be doing. As we've said, we do that every Sunday, but particularly today on Easter Sunday, we want to praise God. If you've been around for the last few weeks, you'll have heard some of our teaching series on the crucifixion. Jem and Duncan and the guest speaker, Tim, did a fantastic job of looking at the crucifixion from different directions, different angles, explaining what was happening when Jesus died on the cross. But it is no longer Good Friday. It's no longer the day of crucifixion. Today is Easter Sunday and is the day of resurrection. So we're going to spend some time this morning looking at what happened next, what happened on that first Easter Sunday. And I'm really glad that Duncan said it was okay for people to bring the same contribution because at least two people 
shared the passage that we're going to look at today. So I'm glad I don't have to think of a new one off the top of my head. We are going to be looking at Matthew 28, 1 to 10. And if you like a title for your notebook, today's message is called, He is Not Here. So it should come up on the screen. Brilliant. Thank you, guys, um, if you want to follow along. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He is not here. He is risen. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. From now on, I'm just going to refer to them as the Marys, because it will save quite a lot of time have got up early on Sunday morning to go to the tomb that Jesus has been laid to rest in. I'm just going to quickly recap the events of the last few days, just so we're all on the same page here. On Thursday, Jesus had dinner with his disciples. He shared the Passover with them. It's something we tend to call the Last Supper. And during that meal, he broke bread and shared wine with them, telling them that it was his body and blood broken and poured out for the forgiveness of their sins. Later that evening, he was betrayed with a kiss from a friend and was arrested. On Friday, he was sort of put on trial, but kind of not really. Duncan did a great message on it a couple of weeks ago. Go and listen to that. Um, and the crowd chose to release a murderer called Barabbas instead of releasing Jesus, an innocent man. Then he was mocked, he was whipped, he was tortured and tormented. He was nailed to a cross and he died. And then on Saturday, it's the Sabbath. It's the day of rest. So on that Friday, Jesus was buried in the tomb with a great stone rolled across it. Um, in chapter 27, Matthew tells us that the Marys were there. They were there through this whole thing. They saw Jesus die. They saw his body be laid in a tomb and a stone be put across the entrance. And then I guess they went home to celebrate the day of rest, to to do nothing for a day. I don't think we can even begin to imagine how the followers of Jesus felt on that Saturday. A few days ago, their leader and friend rode into town on a donkey with people placing palm branches in front of him. They were ready for him to overthrow the Romans. They were ready to declare him as king. They were waiting for him to be victorious. And now the man they love, their friend, their teacher, someone they have followed, given up their livelihoods for, is dead and buried in a tomb. 
they were probably pretty heartbroken. The grief must have been immeasurable. So to our passage. The Marys have got up on Sunday morning to go to the tomb. The passage says it was first thing, it's kind of the first thing they were doing with their day, but there doesn't seem to be any urgency. They've not got up in the middle of the night to travel, to be there at the break of dawn. They didn't go on the Friday night in the dark to try and do things. They've got up on the first moment they can and decided to go to the tomb. We don't really know why they're going. Maybe they were taking some spices and hoping that when they got there, they could convince a sympathetic guard to help them roll away the stone so that they could anoint the body in sort of the burial traditions that they would have had. But they knew there was a stone that they had no chance of moving, and they knew that there were guards in place to stop people going and tampering with the body. These guards were put in place because the Pharisees went to the Roman officials on the Sabbath and said, the disciples are going to do something, please put people guarding. That wasn't a normal thing. Guards weren't put outside tombs usually, unless it was extraordinary circumstances. So the Marys go to the tomb. Who knows what they're expecting? Maybe they just wanted to do something, anything rather than sit at home missing Jesus. Maybe they just wanted to be near where he was buried in the hope that that might help them process some of their grief. What they probably weren't expecting was an earthquake, an angel, and an open tomb. It seems quite likely that they would have felt the earth move as they were walking towards the tomb, that that happened during their journey. Um, We don't really get told exactly the timeline of these things, but um, there was an earthquake. And it doesn't seem to have phased them. They don't seem to hurry up thinking, there was an earthquake, something amazing is about to happen. Or let it scare them away and think, oh my goodness, there was an earthquake, we should probably stay home. They just carry on their journey. However, as they got to the tomb, they must have figured out that something unexpected was going on here. I wonder whether the first thing they noticed was the guards lying on the floor as if dead. These men who will face death if they are not guarding the tomb are just unconscious, fainted, asleep, passed out. Who knows? They're just lying there. Maybe what they first noticed was instead of a massive solid stone, a gaping entryway to the tomb, where they expected to see a solid barrier, it is instead open. Or maybe they noticed the angel sitting on top of the stone in clothes um, as white as snow and with a face like lightning. It would have been a lot to take in. If you're expecting to just go and have a quiet, grieving, sad morning, missing your friend, and instead, all of this is happening. It's a lot. And so the angel does what angels do in the Bible and greets them, saying, do not be afraid. This echoes back to the nativity, doesn't it, of the angel coming to the shepherds and telling them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Exactly the same thing is happening here. The angel has met these women who are probably pretty confused and scared and sad and tells them, do not be afraid. If I was with them, I think I'd need a minute. Like, great, just gonna go and sit down and take some deep breaths and maybe try and wake myself up from this weird fever dream that I'm clearly having. But the angel doesn't let them do that. Instead, he goes on and says, do not be afraid. 
For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. Now, angels seem to have a very particular way of expressing a lot of truth and information in a very small amount of time. In two or three sentences here, the angel greets the women, explains that he knows why they're there, that they're there to seek Jesus, confirms that Jesus did actually die. He says that Jesus was crucified. He proclaims the resurrection, tells them that Jesus is risen, and makes clear that this was prophesied, that this should not be a surprise. They should have known this was coming, although, of course, they didn't. He demonstrated to them that they are, in fact, at the right place by saying, come and check it out. He's not, he's not here anymore. And then tells them to not stay in this place of death, but instead go and tell other people, share this good news, that Jesus is not here. He is re- risen. And drops in that they're going to meet the resurrected Jesus soon. This is efficient communication. That is a lot to process in about three sentences. A lot is happening. And the Marys accept it. They see that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is not there, and they leave. One thing I really want to clarify here that um, sort of struck me as I was preparing for this message was that the stone is rolled away so that the Marys can see that Jesus is not there. The angel didn't come down and move the stone so that he could go in and sort of wake Jesus up with mystical smelling salts or something. He didn't even come down to move the stone so that Jesus could like, be let out, as if he was like unlocking the door and Jesus was sort of standing there waiting. Come on, angel, like the earthquake happened, where are you? Jesus didn't need that. The angel is there. The tomb is open. The earthquake happened for the witnesses so that the Marys and the other followers could see this tomb is empty. He is not here. He is risen. So the women leave, and they are filled with fear and joy. This sounds a bit like an oxymoron. They feel like things that maybe shouldn't be able to exist in your emotions at the same time. But I feel this is completely appropriate. These women have just had an encounter with an angel. And we know from other stories in the Bible that angels are very scary. They greet people saying, do not be afraid. He has a face like lightning. What what does that even mean? Who knows? They are in awe and gripped with this fear of this supernatural moment that they have experienced but they are also filled with joy because they have seen the truth that Jesus has risen. So they rush off, ready to go and tell the others to spread this good news, to start the Great Commission, to start the gospel story of Jesus died and is risen from the dead. They're ready to get everyone to Galilee to meet Jesus. By the way, not a very helpful instruction. Galilee wasn't a particularly small place. If someone said to me, I'll meet you in Manchester, I might need a bit more. Honestly, if someone says, I'll meet you in Starbucks, I'm like, which one and which table? Because I've been burnt before. I've been at the wrong place when people have said to me up. But the morning isn't over for the women. They're not just going off to tell the others. 
And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus met them. As they are turning away from the empty tomb, the place of death, the place where Jesus' body was laid, they turn from there and they encounter the risen Jesus. He is not here. He has risen. And Jesus greets them as his friends. His greeting in, in our translation that we read says greetings. It's probably akin to sort of peace be with you, a very normal, familial kind of greeting that he would have shared with them as a friend. It's kind of like if I met you and said, hey, what's up? How you doing? You good? It's nothing dramatic. He's not appeared and announced himself as the risen Christ. He's greeted his friends. But their response tells us everything that has changed here. Instead of rushing up to him and asking him how he is or saying hi back, they rush to him and take hold of his feet and worship him. In that moment, the Marys are declaring that Jesus is king, which is the holding of his feet, and he is God. Before this, people didn't worship Jesus. He wasn't to be worshipped. Only God can be worshipped. And in this moment, they fall to their knees and worship him, declaring that he is king of kings. He is God. He is divine. He is the risen Jesus. This is great news. This is the good news. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. And in that, he defeated sin. But that isn't the end of the story. He rose from the dead, defeating death once and for all paving the way for those who believe in him to have eternal life. This Jesus that the Marys meet is the resurrected, vindicated Jesus who is re-established as Lord and King of the cosmos. This is the resurrected Christ. This is the Jesus that we worship, the living God. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Jesus goes on to have many encounters with his followers before he sends into heaven. He has conversations, he has fellowship, he shares food with them and community with the people who were around him, the people that have followed him on his journey, the people who have known him, the people who believe in him in those days. And then he ascended as the living, resurrected Jesus into heaven. He didn't resuscitate to then die again sometime later, to die a peaceful death, to die, a just, to die a just death. He was resurrected to live for eternity in heaven with his father. And that's where he is right now. <laughs> this Jesus that the women met on the road, the resurrected Christ, is in heaven right now with God. He is alive today at the right hand of the father. There's a whole other message there that we do not have time to go into today. Instead, I'm going to ask the band to come up because in a minute we're going to sing. We are going to spend some time together continuing in rejoicing in the fact that Jesus was crucified. He died and was buried and then he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. We're going to celebrate that we can know the living Jesus, our saviour, our redeemer, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus who is God. 
how we're going to respond to this, the band are going to lead us in a pretty like boppy, upbeat song, I believe. Yeah, great. Um, so if you are in a space where you want to continue a very energetic worship and get on your feet, find some space, dance about, praise in whatever may make sense for you, fantastic. But if you want to take this moment of reflection, that is also fine. Do what you want to do in this moment, to cry out your hallelujah, to praise Jesus who is risen and alive today.